Welcome, Alternative News listeners. This is 91.7 KOOP Community Radio. This is bringing light into darkness, news, and analysis. I'm your host, Pedro Gatos, and we are transmitting from Austin, Texas, for your listening edification. Today is Friday, July the 30th, 2022, and the show will be rebroadcast on Monday, August the 1st, 2022, from 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. Please join us at koop.org. All comments are welcomed and can be sent to Pedro at pgatos00 at gmail.com. That's pgatos00 at gmail.com. Many of the shows are archived at pedrogatos.org. This is our 117th post-COVID show. A new world, but the same place. So stay tuned for a very informed and documented dialogue. Thank you for joining us. And we hope to have a recording of the show up on pedrogatos.org website for your closer scrutiny within the week. Again, thank you for joining us tonight, and thanks for inviting your friends to join us in future shows. So stay tuned. But first, in the battle of ideas, let's get ready to go to war. Welcome. This is Bringing Light into Darkness, Monday News and Analysis. Tonight's show falls between two important Cuban historical dates. One is the birth date of Fidel Castro, and the other is the July 26th Moncada attack in 1953, which is widely appreciated in Cuba as the initiation of the revolutionary process that brought the 1959 January 1st revolution to fruition. Our focus of the show tonight is on revolutionary principles and the misrepresentation of Cuba in Western discourse. Concrete examples will be presented of behavioral elements that suggest the real character of the Cuban revolution. And we excerpt from some of Fidel's words from his own speeches over the years before his passing, as well as from a documentary video, Fidel Castro documentary on political views to the Cuban Revolution and socialism that was created many years ago, but gives you some valuable insights that we hope you will evaluate as fairly as possible. Enjoy. Good evening, Alternative News listeners. This is 91.7 KOOP, Hornsby, Austin. This is bringing light into darkness. Today is July the 30th, 2022. It's a Saturday. And this show will be aired live on Monday, August 1st, 2022. This show includes an overview of a controversial subject, one that I've learned is greatly misrepresented based on my seven or eight visits to Cuba over the past years, combined with a passionate desire to study and understand the Cuban-U.S. historical dance, if you will. And the airing of this show falls between two important, significant, and important Cuban historical dates, namely the birth of Fidel Castro, which was August the 13th, 1926, and the recent 69th anniversary of the 26th of July, 1953, attempt by Fidel Castro and his followers to take the Moncada garrison on the eastern end of the island of Cuba in Santiago de Cuba as a revolutionary attempt to spark a Cuban revolution against the U.S.-backed Fulgencio Batista. 
But let me take a step backwards before we go forwards. The importance of diversity and cultural diversity is to appreciate that our world outlook in life is profoundly impacted by the culture we grew up in. So there should be little doubt that there is a lens of prejudice that shapes our perspectives as U.S. citizens. We assume that the two-party system is the epitome of democracy, but it is not. We assume freedom and justice are unattached to material well-being, but they are not. Tonight's show is more than anything else about ethics and morality in human life. Tonight, we return to an interest in the Cuban Revolution and Fidel Castro. What does revolution mean for Cubans and for Fidel? For me, I have learned revolution means more than anything else, behavior based on revolutionary principles. And behavior means what we do, not just the empty words that sound good and that we think people want to hear in order to get us elected, but actually the deeds that accompany those promises or do not accompany them. This is where the powerful slogan, deeds speak louder than words, comes from. But what makes something a revolutionary principle? Words can be empty slogans, so it is important to put revolutionary words into behavioral practice or they are not revolutionary. They are just empty political rhetoric. And Lord knows we have too much of that in our own country. So much, in fact, that recent polling indicates that 15% or less of U.S. citizens have faith in our Congress to do the right thing. Words in defense of equality, liberty, and providing dignity to all human beings, backed by behavior consistent with those words, make them revolutionary principles. So with that in mind, wanted to start the show off today with some empirical examples in Cuban-U.S. history in which revolutionary principles are historically verifiable and center around the Cuban experience and Fidel Castro. These will be short vignettes that most of us may not be aware of, but particularly impressed me as being imminently authentic and are above prejudicial politicizing by their verifiability. We are taught that Fidel was a dictator who lined his own pockets along the way, and that Cuba, as a result, is helplessly a poor country. But is this true? Who created this image? And is it an honest attempt to get at the truth? Or is it one to disparage a perceived adversary for challenging the authority, our authority, and economic and military hegemony? You will be the decider. We will also play excerpts from videos and include speeches by Fidel following this introduction in which he specifically addresses some common perceptions many of us have when it comes to judging Cuba and Fidel. We start with perhaps the most important historical event of Cuba, not the January 1, 1959 victory of the Cuban Revolution itself, but of the 26th of July, 1953 failed attack to take the Moncada garrison because it is widely accepted as the beginning of the Cuban Revolution. The group of revolutionaries led by Fidel Castro and others suffered a decisive and complete military defeat on this date. Some 60 or more revolutionaries were killed, and Fidel and others were captured. Fidel Castro was originally a member of the Orthodox Party. And this is important to recognize because Fidel Castro was originally a mainstream politician, but only got radicalized by the behavior of a U.S.-backed tyrant, namely Fulgencio Batista. As a member of the Orthodox Party, Fidel was positioned to assume political victory, along with many others, 
until the 1952 coup by Batista wiped out the democratic electoral process and pathway to leadership. In fact, it was this coup that pointed Fidel Castro towards revolutionary armed struggle. Just two years earlier, in 1950, Fidel had gotten his law degree at the University of Havana. And on October 16, 1953, in his own legal defense, it's a self-defense, he made a summation that he entitled, History Will Absolve Me. This trial was in Santiago de Cuba. What's striking is the promises that this speech made in 1953, which are in the form of a written historical record, namely, History Will Absolve Me. And this written record in black and white reflects promises made by Fidel with regards to their intent to bring a revolution to Cuba and what they were promising Cubans that they would receive upon and following the revolutionary victory of a Cuban revolution led by Fidel Castro and others of the 26th of July movement, namely health care, land reform, in a government and a country that served the Cuban majority population's interest above everything and anything else first. So before reviewing promises made and promises kept, as evidenced by history will absolve me, we highlight some Fidel speech excerpts as well that give insights into the Cuban revolution that most people minimize or are not aware of. We start with an excerpt from Fidel's interview in which he speaks to this issue of wealth inequality and how slavery and the enslavement of others was the genesis of this inequality and how feudalism and capitalism hijacked this oppression for its own benefit to an elite class of landowners and other wealthy elite. So we start with some of his words about revolution and what the revolution is seeking to overcome. This from a mid-1970 video, Cuba and Fidel, and you can hear the translator of Fidel's words into English. La revolución significa destruir todo el viejo orden social y todas las viejas leyes que rigen la vida de una sociedad y sustituirla por leyes nuevas. A revolution means destroying the old social order and the old laws, replacing them with new laws. Enemies of the old laws, staunch defenders of the new. That is what revolutionaries should be. The new laws of socialism are absolutely essential. The famous Athenian democracy, which they taught us about in school. What was this democracy? It was a society of slaves. Only a few had the right to gather and to discuss. The great majority were slaves. The goal of that state was to maintain the privileges of the ruling classes. We have the era of feudalism. Then feudal monarchies. They wanted to maintain a certain system, maintain the privileges of the landholders and the aristocracy. 
Aquella sociedad fue cambiada por otra sociedad. That society was replaced by the capitalist society. Estado capitalista. With certain capitalists whose goal is to maintain their system and to maintain it by force. We use force to maintain the collective ownership of the means of production. Our laws, our institutions, have as their goal the creation of a new society, which is not a society of the patricians or slaves or huge monopolies or landholders, but is a society of the workers. It is instructive that from the very beginning, Fidel Castro challenged wealth inequality throughout the world that had been largely created from Western colonialism and slavery and other forms of oppression. He says in a Rio de Janeiro 1992 speech, quote, if humanity is to be saved from self-destruction, we need to better distribute the wealth and technologies available to the planet. Less luxury and less overspending in a few countries in order to have less poverty and less hunger in large parts of the earth. In a February 4th, 1962 speech at the Second Declaration of Havana, Fidel says, quote, It inevitably occurs that in the nations where the control of the Yankee monopolies is the strongest, the crueler the exploitation of the oligarchy and the more unbearable the situation of the working and campesino masses, and the political power appears most solid. In September 26, 1960, at the United Nations, he says, Do away with the philosophy of plunder, and you will have done away forever with the philosophy of war. Do away with the colonies, wipe out the exploitation of countries by monopolies, and mankind will have reached a true era of progress. We can begin to understand why we have culturally been taught to despise Fidel Castro. It has nothing to do with human rights and exploiting his own people. It has to do with attacking profitability and profiteering off the backs of the majority populations of the world. And what an example, if left unconfronted, the Cuban Revolution would provide. In August of 1962 at the Chaplin Theater in Havana, he says as much, quote, What the imperialists will not forgive us for is that we are here and that we have made a socialist revolution in the very face of the United States, end quote. Returning to Fidel's history will absolve me defense, in his legal defense speech defense, he highlights many of the social ills that the revolution was going to address. Here in an interview many years later in the mid-70s, He describes those very same living conditions for the majority Cubans that he describes so vividly in his History Will Absolve Me defense. Before the revolution, we had close to 600,000 unemployed. We had gambling. We had beggars on the streets. Over 100,000 women lived off prostitution. We had a population of close to 6 million people. And a third of the population was illiterate. Over a million people were illiterate. 
población infantil carecía de escuelas, más del 50% de los niños no asistían a, la, a las escuelas. More than 50% of the children did not attend school. Una situación también en la salud pública muy mala. We had a very bad public health situation and a high infant mortality rate. These were very serious problems. The Cuban Revolution that followed the 1959 victory, just as Fidel had promised in his History Will Absolve Me defense some seven years earlier, prioritized all of these issues, education, infant mortality, under age five mortality. For instance, UNICEF, in its 2011 report, some 50 years following the revolution, Cuba had an infant mortality rate that was below the United States, four deaths per every 1,000 live births. The United States was seven per 1,000. Just in the United States in a single year, if the United States would have had the same infant mortality rate as Cuba, we would have saved 13,239 babies. And if you go out to Latin America and the Caribbean or the developing countries of the world, the countries that are largely victimized by the Western neocolonialism type of situation that we see today and over the last number of decades, in Latin America and the Caribbean, if they would have had the same infant mortality rate as Cuba, some 159,915 or 160,000 births would have been successful and would have survived the first year of life. Think of all the parents and the families attached to that and could have avoided these unconscionable levels of grief attached to losing your newborn. And if you do it for all of the developing countries, if all of the developing countries were like Cuba, the country we embargo, the country we refuse to let coexist, in a single year, there would have been some 5 million babies that would have survived that died in their first year of life. So this Cuba that we call the most inhumane and repressive nation of the world. In 2015, UNICEF came out with statistics about underage five mortality. Those, of course, are young kids that don't make it to age five. And Cuba, again, had the lowest rate in the hemisphere, well, perhaps with the exception of Canada. But Cuba's rate was 5.5 per thousand. Kids would die before the age of five and after the age of one. The United States was 6.5. Even Costa Rica, was almost twice the Cuban rate at 9.7. Latin America and Caribbean were 17.9, a rate that if they had the Cuban rate would have saved some 136,000 additional child deaths in that region in 2015 alone. And meanwhile, as far as life expectancy, in 2011, again, according to UNICEF, Cuba had the same life expectancy as the United States, some 79 years which was some 12 years more than developing countries, in just one year below the industrialized country average. Latin America and the Caribbean averaged 74 years, some five years behind Cuba. And another promise that Fidel made true back in the 1953 Moncada in the History Will Absolve Me defense regarding literacy and education. The literacy campaign began within two years of the success of the revolution. On January 1st, 1961, the literacy campaign began. At the close of the year-long campaign, over 705,000 people had learned to read and write, and the illiteracy rate had been reduced from 25% to less than 4%. Meanwhile, the convention 
on the rights of the child, which by 2010 had been signed by every nation except Somalia and the United States, requires nations to provide universal free primary education. By 1999, some 6.7% of the gross national income of Cuba was spent on public education. This was twice the rate of public spending as compared to other Latin American, Caribbean, and Singapore average. In 1999, the Latin America and the Caribbean average illiteracy rate for youth, that's ages 15 through 24, was 7%, while Cuba's was 0%. Uruguay was 1%. And in 1997, the Latin American and East Asian average ratio of primary school pupils per teacher was 25 to 1. In Cuba, it was 12 to 1. Only Sweden ranked as high. And these are statistics from the World Bank 2001 WDI. And as a final note, Cuba, although it was one of the poorest countries in Latin America, actually showed the best results in basic education by a long shot. And this again is from UNESCO. It was an 85-page report of the first international comparative study of language, mathematics, and associated factors in third and fourth grades, dated 1990. So Cuba, although one of the poorest countries in Latin America, showed the best results in basic education by a long shot, scoring 350 points, which was around 90% correct answers. Cuba was a full 100 points ahead of the regional average. Argentina, Chile, and Brazil followed with scores close to 250 points. The lowest results were the Dominican Republic and Venezuela. The test achievement of the lower half of the students in Cuba is significantly better than the test achievement of the upper half of students in the countries that fall immediately behind Cuba. And then lastly, just to show you the priority of human life and education and the human brain over everything else that no other nation can claim. UNESCO findings in 2011 had an update that recognized Cuba's efforts in the education sector. UNESCO's annual 2011 Education for All Global Monitoring Report noted that Cuba devoted 13.8% of its GDP to education in 2008, which was nearly three times the 5% regional average. That same year, the Yes I Can, Si Se Puede, Cuban literacy program was already implemented in 12 Latin American countries, and it has continued its expansion towards other regions of the world. Cuba students were highest performing students and had more than 50% of students attained level four marks, a percentage that was three times higher than that of Argentina and Chile, again, according to this UNESCO 2011 report. So in addition to these education and health reform needs that Fidel and the 26th of July group promised back in 1953, Fidel also talked about the poverty generating that occurred from a lack of land reform that in the Moncada, Fidel promised to address as well. So again, what I'm trying to share is the integrity of a social system that makes all of these promises in 1953 by Fidel Castro and what they were going to do if they ever brought the revolution to power. Again, this is a matter of public record. All you have to do is read the speech, the defense that Fidel Castro gave in 1953 and all the promises made 
and then follow the trajectory of the revolution when it came to power in 1959. In fact, a comprehensive educational reform bill, the Council of Ministers of the Revolutionary Government, passed such a law, number 680, on December 26, 1959, within the first year of the revolution, enforcing the first comprehensive educational reform in the country, according to the Moncada program. In its main provisos, this law stipulated and regulated the three levels in which the national education system was to be structured. It outlined requirements at different levels. The law nationalizing schools passed later on June 6, 1961, and other rulings and decrees further improved the national education system that to a certain extent became a model acknowledged worldwide. And you can see why by the statistics that we just shared when you compare Cuba to the rest of the Latin American countries. In the documentary video that we are featuring, Fidel Castro has some important insights I wanted to share with you. One of them is based on the backwardness, the economic backwardness that being a semi-colony of the United States for so many decades resulted in. Fidel Castro says, today, if we want to overcome the gap which separates us from the developed nations, we have to do in one year what normally would take 10 or 20 years. We must make an historical leap, and this cannot be done unless our resources are used in a rational, organized way. There is no room for waste. Uh, we do not have the luxury of following the path of free competition to achieve economic development. But before we go on, we do need to take a quick pause for the cause. This is 91.7 KOOP Hornsby, Austin. This is bringing light into darkness on the premier community radio station of the nation. And we'll be back in just a flash. Don't touch that dial.